Hello and welcome to Landings with a Flare, the podcast where we supplement and support flight training. This is Captain Teresa. This episode will be a pilot ground school lesson in the format of a guided discussion. This conversation was recorded on the audio platform called Clubhouse. You will likely hear some variation in audio quality as speakers tune in from around the world. Many of our ground school lessons include handouts, which you can find along with other resources in the podcast show notes. They are also on our website, landingswithaflare.com. We hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversations. Welcome aboard. Let's start by talking about go-arounds. We were talking all about different landings and how to troubleshoot them, but we know that if a landing goes wrong, you should go around. Who would like to explain in very simple terms, almost as if you're explaining it to someone who's never flown before, what is a go-around? Enrique. Yeah, so pretty much a go-around is an aborted approach to land and where you you're going to follow a predefined procedure. So, for example, if you are approaching visually, which is the, the majority of situations during flight training, pretty much you're going to climb ahead and rejoin the pattern to, to attempt another approach to land. Excellent. Go around is an aborted landing. It's when the pilot adds power and climbs out again if they don't feel that they can make a good landing. Now, I prefer what one of our regulars says, his name is Murdad, and he says we should think of landings as a rejected go-around. The reason he says that is because we should always be in the mindset that we are willing to go around and, and if it's not safe. And so if you always are willing to go around, then the landing is like an extra bonus. Now that we know what a go-around is, what are some of the many reasons that a pilot might go around besides just a bad landing? What else? Destiny J. Maybe they ran out on the runway. Perfect. I have done a lot of flying in Michigan. I have seen some interesting animals on the runways. Uh, birds, deer. Sometimes I'm coming in at night and I see these little beady eyes moving across the runway in a line, and I don't even know what it is. It's just a bunch of animals. Anyone else want to give a reason for a go-around? Captain Animesh. Okay, if you're flying in minimal weather, and you're not visual till your minimum descent point, and then you have to do a go-around, or if ATC tells you to do a go-around, if there's another aircraft on uh, approach, I also want to add here, uh, while I was flying in Australia, usually bush flying, we used to have a lot of kangaroos and they used to sit in a herd on the runway. So most of the time, all our landing used to be a first time you have to do a go around. You have to like, uh, if it's nighttime, it's really difficult to see them. So we used to do a go around. Uh, it's like a low pass with high power lights on to scare them away and then you come back and land in second time. So it used to be always a go around if you're landing in remote areas because you never know what's what's going to be on runway. Wow, I have never had to deal with kangaroos before. That is great. I love it. Okay, let's go. I believe I saw Omar flash his microphone next. Omar. 
Yeah, I would also, in case of wind shear or wind gust or a variation in wind, I would go around to have a more stabilized approach. Excellent. And I think I saw Enrique next, and then I saw two more after that. I would call that the stabilized criteria. So if you don't match those those criteria in order to land, so if you don't, are not aligned with the runway on final, if you don't have your aircraft fully configured and your landing checklist completed, I would go around for sure. Pretty much because I need to make sure that my aircraft is all set up for, for the landing. Excellent. Go ahead, Philip. Oh, I also want to throw in ATC can tell you to make a go around. And also a flight instructor can say runway blocked, though it does, it's not blocked go around. Excellent. It can be used for training or it can be used by air traffic control for any number of reasons. Sometimes it's just because they know that they didn't separate traffic properly or there's some other reason. Okay. And then I don't, did we mention that if you can't land in the, in the proper distance? I don't know if we mentioned that one. The FAA usually says for a small plane, it should be in the first one third of the runway. For a large plane, it has to be in what we call the touchdown zone. Lots of good reasons. Okay, so let's talk about basic go-around procedures. Does anyone have any short, easy-to-remember memory aids on how they go around? Let's do a simple, short explanation first. Philip. So you have to get out of the, the stage of the approach, and initially the go-around is normally thrust. To go around thrust and then uh, flap setting has to be changed if it's according to your AOM. And then when a positive rate achieved, then gear up and then follow missed approach, whatever it is. And Omar. Yeah, I just want to add to uh, to Philip in the, in the GA aircrafts, people will, like, like the Cessnas where we have three notches of flaps. Please be careful, guys. Don't put the whole flaps up. The sink rate is going to be crazy. So just you know, stabilize, positive rate, one notch at a time. Oh, yep. And I can verify that from personal experience. Captain Shanita. That's what to make a, like a simple point is basically when you go around, you want to add power and you want to get rid of things that are going to add drag. So that would be like flaps and landing gear. Yeah, that's a very good big picture way to look at it. And that is totally correct. Enrique. Yeah, because m- most of my experience has, has been flown on Cessna's one, 172 and 152, uh, my go-around procedure would be power and pitch to climb. So And slowly retracting the flaps, like Omar said, so phasing that, that flap retraction, because I don't want to change my, the camber of my wings all of suddenly and too abruptly. So I'm going to do that phasing in phases in order to maintain my my climb up, my rate climb. Great point, Captain Anamash. So uh, from my training and what I used to train and what I've been taught, uh, we used to say power, pitch, airspeed, flap gear. That reminds me of an old one we used to use. We would say power up, pitch up, clean up, speak up. I think that's what we used to say. Oh, Philip. Yeah, the really important point is also to make the gear up when you can positively identify a positive climb in case of block landing. 
Yes, because, okay, so let's say that you retract your gear too soon and then you start sinking again. Now, what are you going to land on? So you want that gear down at least so you know, until you know you're not going to sink back on the runway. Okay, I want to break it down in the order that I used to teach it. I would teach it cram, climb, clean, communicate. And we'll go through each one of those one at a time. So the word cram, for those who might not be native English speakers, the word cram means to push something in. There are actually a lot of different things that might need to be pushed in depending on the airplane. In an old Cessna with a carburetor, you might need to push in the carburetor heat at the same time as you're pushing in the throttle so that you can get more power. As you're pushing those in, you should probably make sure that the mixture control, that's the fuel, is still pushed in as well. On a larger plane, maybe you don't have carburetor heat, but maybe you have a propeller lever. And most planes, you have to make sure that not only is the mixture rich, but that the propeller levers are pushed forward. Now, they should be already if that's what your plane calls for on landing. However, I know that I have personally gotten behind the power curve and forgotten to push them forward uh, as I was coming around to land. So verify that those are forward. And then usually the throttles have to go forward too. <laughs> you can tell I fly a jet because I keep calling them thrust levers instead of throttles. Okay. Cram means push anything forward that has to go forward. Now, on a really big turboprop plane or something that's turbo supercharged, there might be different settings. Not all propellers go forward, but you get the idea. Okay. Cram, climb, clean, communicate. When we say climb, we don't necessarily mean just pull back on the controls. What we really mean is control your climb. Why is that such a big deal? What is one of the dangers as we add power when the plane's been trimmed for a lower speed? Destiny J. So I did want to mention um, when you're cramming things, you want to be able to actually put some right rudder in there as well because of like the left turning tendency when you add power. But another thing is, is you don't want to stall either. You got to be careful when you're pulling back. Both good points. As you are working on the climb portion, well, actually really the cram portion, your, your right foot should probably cram forward also or be pushed forward because as you need power, as you add power, you are probably going to need right rudder. Good point. And then as far as the climb goes, Destiny J, you are correct. The danger is actually stalling. A lot of people think the danger is getting too close to the ground. I would say the danger is that the plane was pitched for slow airspeed, and when you add a bunch of power, the plane wants to seek out and continue that airspeed so the nose could pitch up abruptly. We're going to go with Omar next, and then I think I saw other people. Captain, can you tell us about the elevator trim stall? That just When Destiny J said that, that just, that, that just came back to my mind. Well, that is what it is. That is a type of stall. When you are trimmed out for landing and you add power, that power alone can pitch the nose up into a stall. Is that what you were thinking? Yes, Captain. I would also want to like mention that be careful because a lot of people use a lot of trim on landing, which I understand. A lot of people teach how to land with a lot of trim, which I don't teach, honestly. 
But yeah, I think too much trim with full power can actually force an aircraft into a stall. It can be really dangerous. Oh, interesting. I'm a firm believer in fully trimmed out landings, but that could be pilot technique. Captain Shanita, did I see your microphone flash? You already hit the point, but oh yeah, I was saying, um, so one of the things that I used to teach them about the go-around is making sure that you get that trim nose uh, down because you're right, because I teach, you know, heavily trim landings too. And if you got a trim, let's say a landing speed is 66 knots and you have a trim for that and then you add full power, you cram everything in, that's what that plane's going to do. But uh, I was trimmed to be at 66 knots. We just add a bunch of power. So what I got to do, I have to pitch up to maintain the 66 knots. And then if you're kind of weak, that's, that um that yoke will be pretty heavy to try to get pushed forward to get it to not pitch up so high. So I want to add it to the point, like you were saying, with the cram and trim, all the stuff, definitely get that trim out if you teach the trim heavy on your landings. Great point. Yeah, your hand, uh, one arm is going to be using your muscles and really pushing forward to control the nose. And even though we we're saying to climb, you actually are probably going to be pushing forward on the controls. And then the other one is going to be vigorously retrimming, most likely, depending on your plane. Enrique. Yeah, I just would like to go back to the cram concept here, especially on, on the Cessnas. Uh, literally, I have a rule of thumb where anytime that I'm doing an approach, I always keep my thumb open because if I need to go around for some reason, I have the carb heat open. When I push the, the power lever forward, uh, my thumb will push the carb heat lever as well, closing it. So it's a good rule of thumb to, to have as well. It's a good rule of thumb to use your thumb. And Johnny. You know, I think it's um, it's kind of hilarious. I'm, I'm listening to everyone, and I know everyone on the stage is, you know, uh, have different levels of experience. But the go around is not some wild cowboy like maneuver. Hey, don't cram this and pull this. Like it's a very, it can be a very controlled maneuver where you know, you know, not to exceed a certain pitch, you know, and things like that, or you your aircraft will enter into a stall. I mean, uh, go-arounds could be for various reasons, as we discussed, but I think it should be noted that the procedure should be a controlled procedure where, you know, don't pitch it to 20 degrees nose high or you will stall. You know, limit yourself no matter how much trim you have in there. You know, you might have to do a couple push-ups or whatever to make sure you can counteract that in the interim. But I like what Captain Teresa said. When you initiate that cram, most of the time you're going to be pushing forward on the yoke to try to you know, to, to combat whatever control forces are happening when you cram that in there until you can get your trim set and the correct pitch attitude that you need to initiate a climb. I agree with all of that. And depending on how close you are to the ground, maybe you don't even need all your power. It happens more in the larger planes where maybe we're already close to a missed approach altitude. And so we don't even need full power to climb out. Because like Johnny said, it doesn't have to be a panic move. It can just be a nice controlled maneuver. Okay, we have said cram, climb, and now we're going to talk about clean. And the good news is that we already brought up most of the good points. So clean, for those who don't know, means retract the flaps and the landing gear. But as we alluded to before, there are certain orders and speeds at which you want to do it. 
Who would like to reiterate what we said about the flaps? I mean, do we just slap them all up all at once? Destiny J. Now, you want to make sure that you're retracting them in increments just so that you're not sinking or going to stall. Exactly. Increments are a really good keyword, Philip. Especially in turns. Oh, yes. Yep. Because the plane already has a higher load in the turn or load factor. And essentially, it is closer to a stall because of that. So we already touched on this, but I want to reiterate. We say cram, climb, clean, and clean is retracting the gear and the flaps. We mentioned this before, but why is it typical to retract the flaps and make sure that there's a positive rate before, or at least some of the flaps, and make sure there's a positive rate before retracting the gear? Captain, this actually, uh, I have a question right now. So I was with the DPE on my CFI check, right? And I was told that positive rate means the, the trend, it's trending upwards in the positive zone. But then the DPE told me, he was like, hey, you know, if you, you can be in a descent, but there's a positive trend. So it's negative 1,000 feet per minute, but it's trending towards zero. That counts as a positive rate. Is that correct? We are definitely going into the area of techniques now. First of all, if I'm VFR, for me, a positive rate of climb means looking out the window using my peripheral vision and making sure I can see the plane climbing away from the ground. And even then, if it's technically a positive rate, it doesn't mean I'm going to slam the gear up as fast as possible because we have to understand why we're waiting in the first place. So the reason that we normally retract at least a drag flap and then make sure that the plane is climbing before retracting the gear is that we want the gear down for safety if the plane happens to settle back toward the ground. There are go-arounds where sometimes the back wheels will touch the ground or perhaps someone retracted all the flaps at once and they got a big sinking motion Now at least the gear is out so that you can come back and land on the gear. The goal isn't to get the gear up as fast as you humanly can. The goal is to wait until the plane has a nice steady climb away from the ground, and then you retract the gear once you are sure that the plane will not be returning to the ground. So again, if I'm visual, I just use my peripheral vision to make sure I'm in a positive rate. If I am on instruments, In theory, as soon as the vertical speed indicator reverses direction, uh, which would be that trend that you were talking about, Omar, I would consider that to be the plane actually climbing. The vertical speed indicator shows an almost instantaneous climb. Even if the needle says it's at negative 200 feet per minute, if it rose up to that point, I believe that that actually means aerodynamically that you are in a climb. That's my opinion. Does anyone want to speak to what I said? Captain Shanita. No, I'm just, I'm going to agree with what you said. Because like, yeah, at least in the jets, that's what we use is the, the vertical speed as our positive rate of climb indication. And Omar, I was trying to, you were saying, can you say what, again what the DPE said? It said if it was going downward, but it, if it's consistently doing it, that's a positive trend. What was it that you said the DP said? Captain, so I was 
doing a maneuver with him on my CFI check ride. And I'm, I was waiting for a positive rate. We were in a descent. So I think it was a power off stall. So the VSI was showing negative 2000, climbing to negative 1000. So I was waiting for it to go above zero for a positive, like a positive 1000 feet per minute or something like that. He was like, you don't have to wait all that long. All you have to do if it's trending upwards. So if it's a negative 1000 feet per minute trending towards zero or to trending towards a positive rate, that means there's a positive rate established. You can start retracting. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A thousand ten. I agree with that. At least um, the two airlines I've been at, that's how we've done it. Uh, look at the, we take off, you know, get the VR rotate, and then you look at the vertical speed. As long as it's trending upward, then that's a positive trend because eventually it's going to go up to the positive. You don't have to wait till it's actually positive. Just as long as it's going upward, that means you are climbing. It's, it's just transition from a descent to a climb. So, yes, as long as it's trending upward and it's showing a positive climb, then we go ahead and track the gear. I agree with Captain Shanita. When we speak about instruments and instrument panels, one of the things that we talk about is the difference between a trend and a quantity. The vertical speed indicator has the fastest trend indication if a plane starts to climb. It's almost instantaneous. If a plane is descending and then it reverses direction, you will see the vertical speed indicator needles start reversing direction almost immediately. But even though the trend is the quickest, you'll see it there before you even see it on any other instrument. The quantity is the slowest. It can take up to six seconds for it to be showing you the exact proper rate, showing you that you're at 500 feet a minute climb or whatever example you might use. The trend is instantaneous on the VSI, or nearly so, and then the quantity is actually quite slow. Let's go ahead and continue on. So we said cram, climb, clean, and oh, one other thing about the climb I almost forgot. This is a common error in student pilots. A lot of student pilots, what they believe that pulling up on the controls is the best way to climb away from the ground quickly. And so let's say that they have their gear and at least some of their flaps down and they're trying to, they've got lots and lots of drag. They're at a slow speed. They're trying to climb away from the ground and they're not climbing very quickly. A lot of them make the mistake of pulling back farther on the controls. Even if they're not in a stall, that's not going to increase their rate of climb. Would someone like to explain why that actually is not the best way to climb? Kaniela, thank you for joining us. Go right ahead. Uh, welcome to our ground school lesson. And why is it not a good idea if you're already in a slow climb to just keep pulling back on the controls? Thank you for having me. First off, I, I think back to slow flight configuration when we talk about this, which is why I think it's so critical that we teach that and, and the student understands it. We're, we're in a low speed, high drag configuration. The aircraft is already presumably trimmed for that. And so adding more pitch is just adding angle of attack and additional drag. It's not going to actually result in us getting any more lift and any more climb. We need to provide more lift to the aircraft. And the only way we can do that is by providing more wing speed, which is more power, or cleaning up the aircraft and reducing that drag. 
But inducing drag by pulling back on the stick, that really doesn't do anything. Remember, our elevator is actually a wing flying in the opposite direction. So anytime you pull back on the elevator, you're actually creating a, a downward lift on the tail, and that reduces the efficiency of the aircraft. Yes. So it is a type of slow flight, which means that the plane is in the region of reverse command. That means that if you want to climb more, you have to increase the speed of the plane. It's the opposite of what most people would think. That's why it's called the region of reverse command. So, and actually, the pilot might be better off pushing forward on the controls to increase the speed, especially if they were below VX or VY. Did I see Destiny J? Thanks for your patience. Oh, no problem. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, pitching up, you're just going to even end up stalling yourself and you're just going to become even slower. So by pitching down, you're going to create um, the aircraft to move a lot faster and then you can, it can glide back and you can climb after you get to the proper airspeed. Yes, speed is your friend and Mo. Yeah, it's good to teach the students that the pitch for airspeed and power for altitude. So uh, you can control your airspeed with a pitch. When you pull back, it's going to come down. When you push forward, it's going to increase. And then if you need to get some altitude, just add power. Yes, and that is true. Pitch to the airspeed, power to the altitude. That is a good technique when you are in the region of reverse command. Again, that's just a technique. That's not an official mandatory thing but a lot of pilots like that. And Johnny. I always preach about pitch and power settings. I think it's, it's important to note, and you said it, Captain Teresa, all these young pilots, their, their first mistake is always pulling too far back on the yoke. You know, I took my 13-year-old son flying, and the first thing he wanted to do to get away from the ground was pull back on the yoke. Right? And it's, it's a natural thing, right? When you don't know, you don't know. That's why I always preach about pitch and power settings. For max power, this pitch attitude will give you this rate of climb. If you start there and then you go from there, I think that'll help you overcompensate by pulling too far back on the yoke. If you're paying attention to your instrumentation and you have that pitch and power setting, that's a good start. Great, great point. So it's not so much about pitching up or down. It's about pitching to the right speed and angle and then letting the power do the rest. I made all of those mistakes and many more when I was starting out. Again, so we've done cram, climb, clean. The last thing I'll say about clean is most small planes, at least, use the pattern flap, flap, gear, flap as they retract, or sometimes flap, gear, flap, flap. So it's often done something in that order. Okay, cram, climb, clean, communicate communicate is the last step in the process. And all experienced pilots know why, but we've also been where we were really tempted to make a call before we were done flying the plane. So does anyone have words of wisdom or advice about why it's so important to communicate last? Destiny J. Because you, you don't want to rush the process of the go around. It's not to be rushed. You want to make sure that you're doing everything properly so that you're not going to stall the airplane and then communicate to whoever is on the mic or tower. Even if they ask you a question as well, like just say, stand by. Yes. 
And I saw a lot of microphone flashes. The next one, I believe, was Captain Animash. It's a high workload, in, high workload environment you're in, and it's not something uh, you do every day. So it requires uh, full uh, concentration. You don't want to mess up in that configuration so close to ground. So it's always best to stick to the basics, aviate, navigate, and then communicate. So even if you're tempted to speak to ATC, I mean, they know you're going around. Or even if they don't know, if you fly your aircraft, if you keep it out of the stall region, uh, you're safe. And uh, once you're settled down, once you're confident about uh, the go around that you established, the correct configuration, and you're climbing out, then you can uh, handle all the ATC communication at last. They won't mind. ATC won't mind as long as you keep the aircraft and passengers safe. Great. I was hoping someone would say aviate, navigate, communicate. I believe, Mo, you were next in order. Yeah, that's what exactly I wanted to say. It's always aviate, navigate, communicate. And also, when they clear you to land, there is no one on the runway. So as long as you're flying uh, through the runway and then you're climbing, there is no one in front of you. Do what you're doing and then whenever you have time and you, whenever you're settled, you can just call and say, hey, I'm going around. Yes, exactly. And Philip. Yeah, in a go-around, you're normally in a critical phase of flight. And then if they call you, you don't even have to say standby or make a double-click. You don't have to say anything until you're ready. Yes. And I like what Destiny J said. And let's go back to that, which builds on what you just said for Philip. So most controllers expect a radio call at some point when you're going around or going missed. It's required if it's a missed approach for an instrument approach. And it's all even a good idea at a non-controlled field. But most controllers understand that you have to take some time, make sure the plane is in a safe configuration, fly the plane. Every now and then, though, and this is what Destiny J was alluding to, I believe, you get a controller who doesn't get it. They do not understand. This used to happen at an airport where I used to teach students. My students would be learning how to land, and sometimes they'd batch their landing and make a mistake, and they'd add power to go around. We had this one controller who would always panic and think it was an emergency, and they'd immediately say in a panicked voice, they'd go, Cessna, one, two, three, four, five, do you require any assistance? And they would be like so like panicked, and do you require assistance? And they can't give you any assistance when you are that low to the ground. I was always so tempted just to, well, you're supposed to say what Destiny J just said, which is just tell them to stand by or don't say anything at all. I was always so tempted to just get on and say, yeah, shut up. Just be quiet. So anyway, um, sometimes the best assistance is to just fly the plane. They can't really help you with that. Later on, they can give you vectors or other clearance. And Captain Animash. I just want to uh, add in over here that in some countries, it gets really difficult with the air traffic controllers, including India, where I uh, usually fly. Also in Southeast Asian, Middle East, as soon as you do, a, if, you, if you call them for go around, they want to get all the information out of you, like reason for go around, souls on board, what's your endurance. And it gets really difficult and you have to, you know, uh, deal with them. You have to tell them, okay, I'll, I'll let you know everything. Once I'm on ground, please do not disturb. And sometimes you have to be very affirmative and tell them that, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll get back to you. And uh, it has happened with me recently with the go around and ATC was, uh, it was Singapore and they were 
they kept on calling us reason for go around reason for go around and we were uh, trying to navigate uh, through the go on list approach procedure and everything so it's sometimes you have to be very affirmative with the atc and tell them that shut up i mean you don't say shut up but you will say we'll call you once we are on ground and uh, hopefully they'll understand great point and johnny this is um such a a great topic right because i i would love for all pilots all atc anyone dealing with aviation to take the stigma of a go around away from like this emergency procedure because we we already discussed what would you go around for sometimes this is not a stable landing your checklist isn't completed during the runway multiple reasons not always an emergency and i want uh wish for pilots to understand like hey Go arounds are free. Hey, let's just go around. We're not ready. We we haven't discussed this. Hey, let's just go around and it's okay. So to do the go around, you know, and and it may be, you know, some places where you it's 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 frowned upon, but if you need to do a go around and do a go around, don't let anyone dictate for you not to do a go around if you feel like it's necessary. But um just wanted to make that point. 100% and Murdad, I you have one of the best points on this. I saw your microphone flash. I think you're probably going to say what I think. I actually quoted you earlier, but go ahead and say it, please. On briefing your passengers that we're going to go around? Oh, no. I, I liked your... You're the one who always talks about how we should think of uh, landing as a rejected go-around instead of the other way around. I, I, I'm going to come across as having, like, no faith in my own landings, right? Because... I I used to fly out of this airport that had a really narrow, short runway. And more or less, if you're not, you know, you got some crosswind or you're not dialed in by base to final, like you're going to burn up runway so fast, you really should go around. So I would tell my passengers, like, hey, just so you know, this is like a par two landing. So if we come around, it doesn't look good. You know, we're going to power back up and go around again. And then most of the time, you nail it on the first try anyway. But that way, your passengers that, you know, they're not used to flying, especially in a small plane, especially out of a tiny airport. You know, they're like, oh, okay, this is normal. You know, if you fly out of some place that's harder to get in and out of, like you go around, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, every landing is optional up to a certain point. But the, the main thing I wanted to add as well, since I came in a little bit later, is power as needed, not full power always. Did you guys talk about that at all? We did. We did. I like your point about setting expectations with passengers. Just tell them, hey, you know, there is a chance that we're not going to land on this one. We'll just have to climb out again. That is a great point. And Johnny. Now to uh, Murdad's point about the um, a landing being a rejected go around. If Can you remember Captain Teresa, or T, Captain Shanita left, or uh, Murdad, or, or Philip, anybody, where is the go around in the checklist like where is it placed in the checklist i'll tell you in in mind it is before the after landing checklist it is right before the before after the before landing checklist the very next thing is the go around so it it tells you that aviation is saying hey this is the likely sequence of things that that you'll before landing the next thing is a go around and the next thing after that's after landing checklist Oh, that's interesting. I'm sure that varies from location to location, but I see the reasoning that they really want to 
maybe it's more urgent than an after landing checklist. They want to really put it in the pilot's vision. Right. I I, I believe it. And for for our aircraft, I'm talking the, the dash eight. You know, the before landing, you do that checklist, and then the next thing, the next checklist for that aircraft is the go around. So that way, you're not flipping past other pages in the event that you have to do a go around. It's just the next thing in the sequence. The after landing, you can do after landing when you're on the ground, you're taxing your airspeed. Your airspeed is slow. You're just taxing. So now you have time to flip through a checklist. I believe that, and I, I would challenge you guys to look at your checklist and see where go around is and make it make sense to yourself. I like that. And Philip, yeah, that's totally correct. Um, because it's a normal uh, procedure and not an abnormal emergency, uh, some operators can alter that because my former operator, we didn't have any checklists after in the air for normal checklists. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and our that's true. In my airline, the go-around is considered to be a memory item, essentially. But, yeah, it, I, but I like the philosophy there. Okay, we have one more subject on go-arounds, and then we're going to take a short break. We know that go-arounds are important in many different circumstances. However, we have to say that there are a few situations where it is not appropriate to go around. Again, most people don't go around enough, but when would it be wrong or dangerous to go around? Philip? I'm running out of fuel and misapproach sector blocked. I could see that. Yep, low on fuel. Murdad. If something other than your landing gear touches the ground, you probably shouldn't go around. Yes, that's the one I was looking for. So, for example, let's say that you struck the tail of your plane as you were coming in to land. You do not know what state your, your horizontal stabilizer is in and your tail. Your structural damage might make it unsafe to go around. And the even more common situation is if the pilot has a gear-up landing, which causes the propellers to strike. It is very, very tempting. And I've talked to someone who is in this situation. They said that with everything in their whole being, they wanted to just do a a do-over. They wanted to add power and go around because... It's almost like they were still in denial that they struck their propellers on the ground and had a gear up landing, and they just want to go back and do it over again. But the problem is striking the propellers on the ground means that you cannot trust them to work the way that they are supposed to. A metal propeller will curl, which is called Q-tipping. That's the slang. A wooden propeller will shave off. Those are like the propellers that you'll see on some of the diamonds. And then a composite propeller can actually shatter. So how are you going to climb in the air without a full propeller? And you might have just enough propeller to bring yourself up to a dangerous height and then essentially run out of lift. Johnny? Definitely going to comment on the uh, propeller uh, portion of this as a uh, prop pilot. That is such a delicate thing. We, we have had military aircraft that have had prop strikes it's, it's not necessarily it is the, the prop that's the main thing the prop itself 
but everything that that propeller is connected to inside that engine cowling, what you cannot see is the issue. Something drives that propeller, that drivetrain drives that, and that you have a sudden stoppage or an interruption of the, the flow of that propeller, all kind of metal on metal shearing can happen. Things would be out of whack. The prop might still be turning, but everything inside the engine cowling can be going haywire, but you can't see it until you try to apply power and go around. So great point on the props. Yeah, and good point that it's a lot more than the propeller. It's the engine. It's so many other things. Omar. Yeah, Captain, I heard you mention about tail strikes. I saw that happen in my old airport. So what I saw is uh, an instructor and a student pilot were practicing soft field landing and the student struck the tail. And uh, the instructor made the decision to abort the go around. The student attempted a go around and he aborted the go around. And upon taxiing out, what we saw is there's like a the tie-down screw hit the rudder in a way that it jammed the rudder in a full right rudder position. Wow, that is a good example. Yeah, unfortunately, there are fatal and near-fatal accidents that where people strike the plane on the ground and then try to go around. Oh, and um, Kaniella, uh, you might have to say your name one more time for me. Uh, go ahead. That You actually got that great. I was going to share a, a fun anecdote from something that happened to me actually during flight training. And this was a great scenario where I think um, go around really wasn't a good idea. I was in Reno in a uh, 172 and it had just come out of maintenance because the aircraft that I had selected previously had some issues and, and it failed the run up. This aircraft, I took it out, and it failed the run-up as well. The uh, suction wasn't up to par, so I took it back in, and, and maintenance took a look at it, and they assured me it was fixed. And upon takeoff, um, once I rotated, I got about 50 feet in the air, and the yoke locked. I couldn't roll. I couldn't pitch. And uh, I had rudder and elevator. And at that point, it was kind of like, what do I do? Because <laughs> I've been practicing before with, disabled rudder or disabled elevator or disabled aileron, but I've never practiced two axes disabled. So I put the aircraft, you know, I trimmed it out. I used the trim wheel for my elevator. I applied throttle. I kept the aircraft in a climb. I said, let me get some altitude and time to think about it. And just as I did that, I bumped the yoke and a part fell out from behind the dashboard and actually landed on my leg. And the yoke was free again. Now at this point, I'm at pattern altitude. I'm probably halfway down the runway, but ru the Reno airport runway is incredibly long. And I had to make a decision, you know, do I fly around in the pattern or do I put this thing down right now and just whatever runway I have left. And I decided at that moment to cut power, throw in flaps and everything as quick as I could and get it down on the runway because it was a matter of, I don't know what the actual issue is. And even if I roll off the end of this runway, I would be more comfortable with that than continuing around in the pattern and then finding out in the middle of a turn that I've lost aileron or elevator or something else critical to flight. That is a great example. Yeah, that it sounds to me like you made a good decision. I mean, you didn't know what you were dealing with as far as the plane. So you took the safest course of action that you determined at that time. Go-arounds are usually your friend as long as your plane is working properly. Uh, most of us need to go around more and we need to normalize it. 
especially if that means warning our passengers that we might do it ahead of time. And um, it's actually, believe it or not, it's a good maneuver to practice just for practice so you don't get out of practice with it either. Maybe you are good at landing and you don't have to do them very often. Don't forget that you can practice them too. This is Captain Teresa. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you were one of the people being recorded, I thank you. If you were one of the people that we edited out of this recording, I beg your forgiveness. There were many reasons that this episode may have been edited, including length, audio quality, and accuracy. We don't always have the right answers. I ask you to view this as entertainment and not as a replacement for formal instruction or advice. If you want to send constructive feedback, or if you have questions, feel free to contact us through our website, landingswithaflare.com. You can view announcements on our Instagram account, landingswithaflare. You can also join our live conversations on Clubhouse in the Club Pilot Flight Training. If you got value out of this podcast, please consider subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a positive review. Wherever you are in the world, we wish you happy landings.